When you have a strong mission and you're trying to solve something that is worth solving, that is beyond our egos, magic happens. Purpose Deep Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Really warm welcome to Purposey with Camille Socker-Claire, founder and CEO of Bloom. Bloom is an online platform helping people to invest ethically and for the good of the planet. Camille is a French national living in Queensland, Australia. She's had a really fascinating path from digital marketing to investment, which is not an easy path. If you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you're on, hit follow, hit subscribe. It really helps me to get the message out there. Enjoy the episode. Camille Socker-Claire, welcome to Purposely. Thank you. You are the CEO and founder of Bloom. It's a thematic investment platform focused on retail investors. What's its mission? What's its purpose? So our vision is to make climate impact investing easy and accessible to all Australians um, so that they can own and benefit from the clean energy transition. Uh, We're dreaming about a world where a carbon-free economy allows both people and the planet to thrive. Wonderful. And I've got to just check before we move on, like, did I do a very good job of your uh, your surname or did I, um, yeah, did I fail businessly? Yeah? No, it was smooth. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And tell us a bit more about it. Like, give us our listeners an idea of the sort of how long it's been going, the scale of it, if there's any sort of financial information you could share, like number of staff, like give us a feel for the sort of the business. Of course, yes. So Blue Impact Investing has started in 2019. So we're still at a startup, quite early startup stage. Nevertheless, we're seeing great momentum and we have, we launched our Impact Investing Fund in March 2022 this year. And close to 200 customers have today invested over 1.6 million in our funds. So we're off to a good start, but there's so much more that we want to accomplish in the future. So it's very much the beginning of our journey. (laughs) And in terms of staff, so we have a team of three full-time employees, one part-time investment manager. We have an investment committee and some advisors and mentors. So as any startup, you know, you are a close, small team and you are surrounded by people who want to help you in, in your mission. Yeah. And just for our customers, it's a like an online experience. It's, it's an app that they download and they can see their investments. So they can see their portfolio that's right. where the money yeah, yeah that's right so let me tell you a bit more about what we do so we are a simple mobile investment app with a climate impact mission so we exist to help people invest in climate solutions and the problem we're solving today is that unfortunately people are overwhelmed by climate change and we all do our best you know to like recycling and and all of this eco action but we are missing the big picture. One of the single most important action an individual can take when it comes to fighting climate change is using their money accordingly to, in alignment with impact. But sadly today, people don't realize that the money that sits in their bank account, in their superannuation or pension is invested and sometimes is creating a future we do not want to live in. So 
blew me here to how these people who believe in a better future, who want a better future, to invest in clean tech and climate impact. And, and here in Australia, the issue is it's complex, it's restricted to wealthy institutional investors, and Bloom wants to change that. Bloom is here to democratize climate investing. So we have created our funds, our own fund from scratch, and where anyone can invest, it takes five minutes, and you can start with as little as $100 with a mobile phone to invest in a diversified climate impact portfolio. Completely made, completely invested, in science-based climate solutions. And they're public entities? That's, the, that's what they're ultimately they're invested in? Yes, that's a good question. What do we invest in? And I think that's ex- actually a super exciting part of our business. So there are a ton of other investment apps out there, right? It's easier and easier for people to invest in stocks. So the last thing that I wanted to create with Bloom was just another app to invest in stocks. We actually invest in a multi-asset investment strategy, meaning that we invest in different types of investments, so infrastructure, bonds, fixed interests, and also stocks, of course, to allow for some liquidity in the fund. But some of these assets were previously not available to individuals. And that's what's exciting. And this is where most impact is happening in our portfolio. And you, you state very clearly on your website and in your app that it's it's at the high risk end of, of investing. So investors are sort of have their eyes wide open. In terms of, um, you know, like a lot of uh, green investments have been uh, hammered because they've been out of uh, fossil fuels at a time when energy has been a rare co- commodity and there's been you know, issues for a lot of green investments. How, how's the performance been so far? So launched, in, as you said, in 2019. Is it, is it performed okay? So we haven't launched in 2019. So I've, I've started the business in 2019, but the fund was launched in um, early April this year. So pretty much in one of the worst periods the financial markets have seen. That being said, I'm incredibly proud of how resilient our portfolio is. And I think it's once again a proof that ESG investing provides some great downturn protection and and has good resilience in times of high market volatility. And I'll I'll unpack this uh, in a second. So... Yes, markets have been really volatile and our, our funds has followed this trend, right? So since inception, we are down 5%, but in the context of our benchmark, we are actually outperforming our benchmark and we are outperforming the ASX 200. So in other words, an Australian investor today would have been better investing with us than investing in the ASX 200. Mm. And, but of course, yes, commodities have been delivering just outstanding profits, but it's just a matter of like, what world we want to live in. And I guess that's an ethical investing question, right? Are we here for pure profits or are we here for purpose and profit? And at Bloom, we believe in purposeful profits and returns and we invest for the long term and I think that's really important as well to highlight our investment mandate and strategy is a long-term investing strategy we're not in the business of stock trading and and speculating 
our recommended time frame on our product disclosure statement is seven years because you can't you can't make any climate impact in a couple of weeks you know that the capital needs to be invested with purpose for a long period of time if you want to change things and i think um the clean energy transition is already here is accelerating and we know that fossil fuel is going to decline over time yes it's peaking but there are a lot of studies that show that fossil fuels will ultimately disappear slowly from our economy so it's going to happen over a long period of time but we know that's about to happen and at bloom we are betting on the clean energy transition we know that some industries will be the big winners of these shifts and by industries i mean energy efficiency i mean clean energy generation i mean waste management all of these things and we're quite bullish on the fact that there will be winners there is growth on these segments and it's about having a diversified strategy to drive alpha in that space and there's a lot of focus at the moment isn't there on around labeling and and you know a lot of focus on ESG so environment social and governance factors and how you know companies communicate describe label investment products but you must be feeling pretty pretty good about that because actually for you who's you know you're looking for that you just described there mission aligned investors actually your labeling's pretty clear like people know what they're going into so actually a sort of cleaning up of the industry if you like getting a getting a move away from greenwashing <laughs> Is, is a positive thing for you, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think ASIC, the regulatory body in Australia, has issued its first penalty, I think, that was yesterday for a case of greenwashing. So, yes, reg- regulators are catching up with greenwashers, and that's incredibly positive. That being said, there is so much greenwashing out there. It's going to take a while for the industry to adapt, but at least now it's not something that, anyone can do. And, and I think all financial institutions are now, you know, a lot more careful with their green claims. So we, we love this at Bloom and we want, ultimately, we want a world where ESG investing is just mainstream investing and when it's just part of good practice. And we think impact investing is just a step further. I really want to get into your sort of founder story, but sort of focusing on on your past and you know you talked about being in Australia but you're clearly not from these uh, Australian shores and, you, and, you're, and you're from France just I want to unpack that story but what part of your childhood or was there any sort of indicators growing up that exposed you to a sort of passion for the environment and wanting to make a difference in, in your sort of current career did you did you grow up with parents who, who, who were greenies <laughs> Yeah, this is a great question. So the environment, yes, there were some clear things in my in the way I grew up that would later on push me towards that. But it's not a miracle, but it's it was very unexpected that I would work in financial services and I'll explain why. So I grew up in the French Alps in the mountains. So I've been incredibly lucky to grow up skiing and um, I've done a lot of ski competition. Uh, my dad is a mountaineering guide and he's also a ski teacher. So I grew up really, really close to nature. So I kind of taken nature for granted, actually, for a very long time. 
which is why when I educated myself on climate change and the scientific findings around how our climate was shifting and what threat that would represent for humans on the planet, it completely broke me and scared me to my core, and which I think was the catalyst for me shifting away from my marketing career. So before Bloom, I spent 10 years doing digital marketing and e-commerce. So I loved business. I loved doing marketing and growing brands, but I just couldn't reconcile that I would actively work towards, I don't know, somewhat pushing people consume more things. So although I was working for quite responsible brands, that really wasn't adding up in my mind. So yeah, otherwise my family isn't at all from the financial services industry. (laughs) My mum was a teacher, so actually we grew up really far away from that world. Yeah. And was there a sense in your family that, like, you know, making a difference in the world, purpose? Absolutely. Positive positive impact. Was that like a strong thread through the family? Um, Yeah, I think so, especially my dad. So in fact... There's a funny story around that. My dad has always been sort of an early adopter on, of clean technologies and a long time ago has tried to install a windmill in our garden to generate electricity. And um, unfortunately, it didn't work out because we didn't have enough wind and we ended up having to remove it. And I think my dad quite lost a little bit of money in the process. But that has always been his dream to work in harmony with nature whilst using new technologies to reconcile our modern ways of living, if that makes sense. Mm. So I think maybe somehow I want to repair and continue this dream and helping people invest in climate solutions. Yeah. And that you talk, you described as a very visceral response to the education that you got about where we're heading in terms of the planet. Is that because you loved your upbringing and your proximity to nature? Like you just, you grew up, the idea that that might not exist, those those mountains might not produce produce snow. It's not, might not. I've, I've actually witnessed. So that's, that's the thing I'm telling um, people. So where I grew up, we have glaciers. Le Glacier des Bossons next to Chamonix in France. And I've actually witnessed in my small, very small life, <laughs> the ice melting. I've seen winters getting less and less snow every year. And I'm only 32 years old. When you know that 70% of the last WWF report has highlighted that we've lost close to 70% of wildlife, there's something really, really, really scary about that because we know that not only our children will live in a very scary world, but in my generation, the world is going to be very, very different. And the world I grew up in as a child will never exist again. And it's a bit doom and gloom, but I think that's the reality we live in. And is that where it got personal for you? That's where you actually Absolutely. Was, yeah. I can't let this happen without a fight. It's not possible with my level. You know, I I think I recognize my privilege. I'm a white woman living in a Western, one of the richest Western country. I have a good education. 
If not me, then who? Who will solve this? I'm a, I, I am responsible. I cannot continue living my life thinking that recycling is enough. I have to use all my resources, all my time, all my intelligence towards solving this. Mm. And the best way I found to do this is Bloom, is my company. Yeah. And at the beginning was very uncomfortable because financial services, that there was so much to learn there. But I knew we needed more capital towards these kind of solutions if we wanted to fix climate change at the pace. I mean, the, the change we need to implement has such an enormous pace and scale that in my mind, financing is an obvious, is one of the obvious answer. Yeah, and, and like you say, funding the transition funds, are, uh, you know, if they're leading, then that's powerful. You touched on your early career being in digital marketing. Tell us a bit about that journey and, and sort of what attracted you to that. And you studied it and then you worked in it. Is that right? That's correct. So um, I've done my marketing and business studies in France in a business school. And then after that, I went on to work for large brands. So L'Occitane en Provence. And then I moved to Australia, worked for Michael Hill and some digital marketing agencies. I loved it. It was, um, I think I started my career when, you know, Facebook was starting to be a thing and and social media was starting to become this big mass market activity and was starting to transform the way people shopped. And so it was actually really exciting. It was this new industry that I could feel would completely transform the way people live. And it's funny because now that I look at Bloom, I have the same feeling. I feel like the clean energy transition and climate change is that thing again that will completely transform people's life. And I want to be working in, in a way, I want to be working in the future. <laughs> right, yeah. Once again, so I think that's the thread between the two careers, which are completely different, but at the same time, just wanting to be working in, a, in an industry that is shaping the future. Yeah. And just focusing on your move away from France. So spent some time in France myself, a country that has everything, I, I, I think, um, a stunning place, a rich culture, you know, language strong. And I know, you know, French definitely travel, but unlike sort of Antipodeans, they don't often stay gone. So they, they go home. So how did Australia come about and, and, you know, how have you made it a permanent move? No, that's right. That's a good point. Look, I love France. Uh, it's my home country and there are so many good things about this country and you realize it. Like French people complain a lot about their own country, but when you travel, you can appreciate how beautiful and rich life is there. <laughs> but um, I moved with my partner, who's also French, seven or eight years ago now. And that's because we, almost by accident, we had to do a work placement as part of our master's degree. And we came to Brisbane, Australia, um, because there was an excellent um, chemistry school for my partner to do his placement in. So I sort of followed. We absolutely fell in love with Brisbane as a city and fell in love with Australia as a country. Like I said, I love nature. I love being outdoor. And Australia is a biodiversity jewel. 
in the world, really. There's fabulous ecosystems and rainforests and wildlife. So we just loved it here, came back, came back after our placement. And um, my partner found a PhD position at the University of Queensland, which allowed us to start settling in the country. And then just through hard work, networking, <laughs> a lot of visa applications and, and headaches, um, we managed a way to stay here permanently. Wonderful. And, you know, sp- spoke English really well before you arrived. Like, what's it like being in a country where, you know, French isn't the main language and, and do you, like, do you miss family and old friends terribly? Like, what, what are the sort of the difficult parts of, yeah. It's hard when you arrive, absolutely. I did not, I I had a, an academic level of English, which means that you can do a presentation. You can prepare words, you can write, but you are absolutely useless in social situations. Your accent is rubbish. People don't understand you and you lose yourself because you cannot have humor. You cannot have your wits. You cannot have your, you know, reply quickly to jokes. So it's really, really a handicap when you arrive. Plus, adding to this, no one knew I had lost all my professional network which was quite strong in France, and no one would really recognize the school I was coming from. And to be honest, Australians have a preference to hire Australians. So it was actually very hard to, not very hard, but it took a lot of energy to settle and be recognized. So I had to work I had to take small jobs. I worked in a dry cleaner. (laughs) I was paid cash in hand at the beginning. And then I worked for free for a digital marketing agency as an intern. Um, So that's how I got my foot in the door. And and they quickly saw that I could be making great work. So after 10 days of volunteering, essentially, they offered me a job. That was my first job. And then from there, once you have a first job that has some sort of you know, Australian taste to it, then it gets easier. Yeah. And were there ever times when you came really, really close to packing up and going home for both of you? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, actually, the first four years, we thought we would come back at the end of the PhD, of my, my partner's PhD. That was the plan. So the plan was going to be, we're going to spend three to four years in Australia and we'll come back. But we just love here too much. <laughs> and we just found that we had a beautiful quality of life. And we had really good friends. And and that was pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, we could fly once a year to go and see our family. Then everything changed with COVID because we couldn't go back. And that was really hard. So for three years, we didn't see our families. And at that point, we really wondered whether or not it was worth it to be so far, you know, all the time. But now that things are almost back to normal, if we can call it this way, we, we love being here and we're going to stay here. And do you think doing it tough actually makes you love more? Like it can make, see so if you see through difficult times, whatever it is, and I'm with for you, it's, you know, it's, it's being apart from your family. It's been uneven able to go home. Eh? You just, you couldn't even go home if you wanted to. But do you think in many ways, like earning your stripes in Brisbane and Australia kind of almost makes you love the place more? And mm-hmm. although, you know, you 
you described you didn't yeah. even get some easy hands up yeah, so you had I to work hard true i think that's true it's like this imposter syndrome that you have all the time you have to work twice harder and once you start to have some momentum you're like hold on a second i've you know i've put so much love and energy into building this i'm not ready to let it go and you know for for me for the specific mission I'm looking at, I think Australia is a wonderful country to be making the impact I want to make. Because, again, this is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. There is some wealth that we can direct towards climate impact. And Australia is also this beautiful country that has enormous potential to become a clean energy superpower. So... Sometimes I feel like I was meant to come here to make the impact I'm, I'm willing to make, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, on that theme of not doing things easily, like it's, it's really hard to transition, even change jobs, but transition complete and utter careers. Like, and then, because, you know, the big thing about finance has always been trust, right? So you've got to, to attract investors to, to go to transition from digital marketing to to launching yeah. a fund like it's, mm-hmm. it's huge right and and maybe you're sitting there listening to this you might not know how huge that is but describe the kind of like right I really need to do this and then of give course, us like a yeah. real like how did how did you go about it like how did you because you, you when you launch you've 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 launched with money that you'd already attracted I'm I'm sure oh, but I think give us a year yeah hmm. that's very true so when I had the idea for Bloom, I knew I had spent two years working for a clean tech accelerator program called Energy Lab, where I got to learn a ton about climate impact, climate change, clean tech technologies and solutions. And this is also where I started learning about clean tech investing, but I had everything to learn about financial services and investing. So I started investing my own money when I was 25 years old. So I got to learn firsthand by just, you know, doing, trying. But there was an enormous learning curve that I had to do, not only to build my own knowledge, but also to build my credentials in the industry. And and to an extent, I'm still very much building this. So the way I've done this is by being quite entrepreneurial and in a way, tapping into what I call my ikigai. So ikigai is this Japanese concept. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, Japanese philosopher, isn't it? And it's, um, yes, great. Tell, yeah. tell us about your experience with that. <laughs> exactly. So I love working, I think. It all comes down to this. I absolutely love working. And when you love working, when work is an important value in your life, I think you tend to invest more thinking into it. So I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about what is it that I want to do and why and what impact do I want to create. And this concept of Ikigai has been transformational for me because it's essentially drawing three big circles of what we are good at, what the world needs, and what can we be paid for. And at the center of this circle is your unique mission in the world. And for me, that was Bloom. It's helping people, you know, helping people use their money power for climate action. How did you do that? Because I've bought a book, I've sat down and I've drawn the circle. <laughs> like, what sort of process did you go through? Did, was it like a, 
in a couple of days you you had your oh, your own personal missions. Yeah. No, no, no. I can, I can. Um, so, so first of all, you learn throughout all your experiences, right? And I purposefully try to understand what in each and every job. I was really trying to understand what I loved, what I didn't love, and something didn't quite feel right, you know? There was always something missing. And so I went from job to another job to another job, and each job got a bit better, but there was something missing, and the something was the purpose. And now that I leave, now that my work is aligned with my purpose, I don't feel like anything is missing. I feel joy. I feel in flow almost most of the days. I have my bad days like anyone else, but I actually use the lean methodology. So the lean methodology is essentially a bit of a framework to create a company. So you start with a problem you want to fix. So my problem is I want to fix climate change. <laughs> and then you, you know, you make some assumptions and you test them. And for Bloom, it started with creating a community of impact investors. And I started organizing events. And these events helped me learn about impact investing, accelerate my learnings and my understanding of the space, and also test uh, whether or not there would be other people like myself who would want to some help and some education to invest in climate solutions. So that was a tick for personal reason, and that was a tick in terms of testing my idea. And then I and joined- that's putting yourself out. Putting out yourself there. out there and hosting exactly. events, turning up to um, cold halls late at night. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Using, you know, reaching out to people, networking a lot and trying to add value to a lot of people so that they would remember me at a later stage and they could help me down the track. Um When you were organising those coffees, having those Zoom calls, like what was your... What were you sharing with them? Yeah, what was your pitch? (laughs) Well, I would always start with the problem I wanted to solve. I think think this is the most important part and that's why and how people are going to help you. If you you start, you know, talking to someone and saying, um, I really want to solve this. I'm seeing this issue. I'm seeing this opportunity. Can you coach me? Can you mentor me? Can you, can you share your perspective and be really, really respectful of their time? And I think rarely, rarely being told no. <laughs> I think that's the trick. If you approach things the right way, you can talk to anyone. That's the magic I've discovered. When you have a strong mission and you're trying to solve something that is worth solving, that is beyond our egos, you can, yeah, magic happens. You can get to talk to incredible people, especially people who share common values. I think that's also the other point. I approach people who had similar worldviews. So people who would be working in the sustainable finance and impact space, because I knew they believed too in the power of finance to change things. So I didn't have to sell them on this. I just had to sell them on you are an expert. I want to create this impact. Can you, can you help me? Can you give me mm. your insights? Wonderful. And was there a period of time during that where you actually felt like a bit of an intruder and actually you may never get there? Oh, massively. I still feel like that every day. 
But if I've learned one thing is you need to feel the discomfort and do it anyway. Where's that come from for you? Where's that ability to rethink yourself, reform yourself? You've changed, you know, you've gone from the one side of the world to the other side of the world. You've, you kind of live in discomfort. Like, where do you think that has come from for you? It's a good question. I don't know why I tend to go always for the hard things sometimes. Sometimes I wonder as well. I've done a lot of competition when I was a child, ski competition. So I think that has built my resilience. And then later on, I would say, this is also back to the mission. I think, I think when you want to work on something bigger than yourself, then resilience comes from that, from knowing why you do things and knowing that things are hard, but you know why they are worth the effort. And I guess I have, I feel like I owe the world something because I'm privileged. Maybe that comes from this as well. And you get to a certain point where you are kind of refining your thinking and it's going to be a thematic investment proposition. And did you, like, tell us about, like, when it became real and you attracted your first investor and, like, was that luck? Was it... Was oh, it belief? No. Like, what? no, no, I think there was a lot of like uh, hustle. Um, so I, I can explain. So I, I had I had sort of like four phases. The first phase was just having an idea and really falling in love with the problem. So I would read lots of reports about climate finance. Um, I would read a lot of information about how clean tech was performing and what companies were driving the were driving change and profits. And then I started formulating a solution. Then I interviewed, I did a lot of customer research. So I would set up calls with people and interview them on how do you invest? Would you like an investment platform that would help you do this? What do you think is missing in the market? Validating my assumptions, following the lean methodology. Then I created the community. And once I validated the problem, that the problem was real, that other people like myself, wanted the solution I was proposing, I started really working towards it. So I went part-time. So I started decreasing my job and I applied for startup accelerators. So startup accelerators are a great way to test your idea. And essentially for me, they were the test to know if it was worth quitting my job <laughs> and going all in because when you start you have no revenue you haven't you have nothing you have you have an idea that's all you have <laughs> and um, I quit my job after doing University of Queensland accelerator program so getting into this very competitive startup program was a mark of confidence that I was onto something but also Throughout this program, I launched a, a waitlist for our app. And I think in the space of one month, we had 400 people on the waitlist who pledged to invest over $3 million. So I thought, okay, this is another validation that I should do this. Then I started working. Then I started entering the second phase, which was really working, allocating time and resource towards building this. And I got my partner to get involved with the business. So my co-founder is also my husband and he helped me build the tech platform. I worked really hard to get a financial license, find an investment manager, and we got to launch. But before that, we 
I guess I'm missing a step. <laughs> we raised $675,000 in July 2021. Wonderful. And I think, yeah, this is probably the, the part where it felt real because actually the, the, the moment where it felt like, okay, we're doing this is when we received the fund ASIC registration. And I was like, this is it. I have created my fund uh, from scratch and it's happening. <laughs> yeah. But that took, um, you know, from 2019 to 22. In terms of, you know, putting a lot of time and a lot of hustle and a lot of hours and, you know, belief in what you're doing, you're hitting milestones, but all the time you've got other things that are going on in your life and you know, this is right through a pandemic as well. Are you a naturally driven person? Like, you know, I just imagine you sort of setting your alarm for six in the morning and then working right through to late at night. Is that is that how you um, roll? You... Yeah, well, I used to, yeah, I'm pretty hardworking because I just love what I do and I really get into a floor and I have really high, strong, high and strong work ethics, which has been a real, sometimes an issue in the past where, I've gone probably a bit too hard and close to burnout. But that being said, I think um, life yeah, has taught me to slow down and, <laughs> and be a bit more mindful of how I spend my time and how I keep my energy going. So I'm a lot more reasonable now. I don't work. I mean, sometimes I put in the hours and I work long times, but I'm actually taking, you know, weekends, sometimes seeing friends, exercising, doing yoga, going on hikes. So I'm not, I'm not an always on. I don't believe in always on. I think it's a trap. And yeah, I think I found a good balance now on how I do things. I work really intensely and with a lot of focus during the week. And on weekends, I either work on very strategic things or I just relax and do fun things. So spend time, quality time with my partner or just have fun with my friends. And what's it like working with your partner? <laughs> and now your husband. A, <laughs> exactly. It's not easy. Uh, but at the same time, it's incredible. So the incredible part is that trust. So I've been with my husband for seven years, um, 11 years, sorry. And with that comes a level of communication, understanding and trust that I would never find or I would have a really, really hard time to find in someone else. And in a way, it's great because we are together in the business and we are one team, one team, one dream. <laughs> so that's awesome. The flip side of this is, of course, that raises some questions around boundaries. How do we maintain a healthy relationship outside of work? How do we make time for us as a couple? And, and I think we've done, you know, we've done some mistakes along the way. We've worked too hard. We didn't have enough boundaries when we started, but we've actually improved all of these things. And now we're quite strict into having physical and intellectual boundaries between our work and personal lives and really being extra clear on what is it that we are expecting from each other. And I think now, again, we've made some mistakes, we've learned along the way, and now we've found a good rhythm. Yeah. And we're talking in five years' time, just say, you know, what would you want Bloom to look like? And just tell us, was it always Bloom? Like, was that always the name? Was that was it almost, did that come first? It came pretty early. Yeah, because I wanted a name that could reflect growth 
in the context and the respect of nature. And Bloom was an obvious name for this. I love the concept of the donut economics. I don't know if you're familiar with it. The idea that the planet has some boundaries and we can't have an economic system that always, always, always grow. It has to grow within the boundaries of our planet resources. And I think when you think of a flower that blooms, it grows, it gets bigger, but not forever. And I love this idea. And and to me, that's what Bloom is. It, it's helping people grow their wealth, but not at the expense of nature, within the boundaries of what nature can can provide. Wonderful. That, that, that was um, where the name comes from. And five years' time in terms of your um, where you want it to be? Yeah, so big dreams. In five years' time, I want Bloom to have helped um, at least 100,000 people to use their money power for good. And I want Bloom to manage over 1 billion in investments and deploy this capital in to accelerate the clean energy transition. That's our dream. And Australia will be, is, is going to be home? Absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. You, and- you really want me to go back to France, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if, if, if in five years, um, Bloom is an international business, which I'm not excluding at all, I could very well be living. And by then, it would be lovely if we find a way to do long-haul travel more respectfully in terms of carbon emissions. I would love to live, you know, live it in Australia, live it in France. That would be wonderful. And just before we close, what would be your advice for a, a young Camille? What would be you say to a, a young aspiring or someone who wants to make a difference in the world, like, or just, you know, is unsure about who they are, and where they sit in mm. the world? Like, yeah. uh, I would say stop always needing external validation to make progress. And even if you don't know how, what matters is consistent action. It's all that matters to go towards a goal. Sometimes not knowing how is paralyzing, but if you keep going and you can't fail if you don't quit, is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. Keep turning up. <laughs> exactly. Even when you don't know how, why, when everything seems completely impossible, because that that's Bloom was that Bloom was people telling me that it can it could not be done that there was no way I could create a phone from scratch. There was no way I could create a, a retail product to help people invest in climate solutions. But there was a way. <laughs> so there's always a way. When there's a wheel, there's a way. Yeah. Camille Soccer-Claire, all the best with Bloom. Thank you. Massive thank you for joining me on Purposely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.